This is the story of a sound check that checks if the mic is balanced. Welcome, welcome to Chronically Narnia, Chapter 6, The Beginning of Uncle Andrew's Troubles. See, I feel like this isn't really the beginning of Uncle Andrew's Troubles, and they started decades before this book ever took place. Um, but as far as the book is concerned, this is the beginning of the troubles that we're getting into now. So I'm Kristen, and, and this is my interruptive co-host, Chris. Hi. And we are here to discuss the Chronicles of Narnia as we read through chapter by chapter and discuss each chapter in its own individual episode, all six pages of this book at a time. Chris is here with me, and he has some feelings about Uncle Andrew's troubles, apparently. Apparently. Tell me more. Well, first I want to share a knock-knock joke. Um, Knock-knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so if this is your first time joining us, it's basically uh, what Kristen just described, where we go through the book and, you know, we... Uh, the Thank first you for thing- mansplaining, because I didn't do a good enough job. Stop there. And... The first... So, thing- uh, interrupting cow, moo. So, welcome to the podcast. If this is your first episode, good job. You're going out of order, and so are we. We're reading the wrong book first in the Chronicles of Narnia. That's what she tells me. And that's what I'm going to keep saying, because it will make our friend Nathan laugh. When we uh, discuss our chapters, we like to do something a little funky. What do we do, Chris, in order to get everyone caught up with our chapters? Well, we go through them and we pick out a selection of three to five sentences uh, that we feel like encapsulate the chapter and sum it up in a kind of short and easily understandable way. And we do our own editing and say, hey, this is what the chapter meant to us and this is how we understood what it's trying to say. And that's how we open up. So, Kristen, if you'd like to go ahead and start and read your sentences. I will, in fact, gather my notes and read my five sentences. Okay. In order to jump from world to world by one of those rings, you don't need to be wearing or touching it yourself. It is enough if you are touching someone who is touching it. The witch was apparently recovering her strength. In Charn, she had been alarming enough. In London, she was terrifying. Tomorrow I will begin the conquest of the world. That's up to your uncle now, said Polly. All right. Uh, you did a really good job. Uh, I really struggled with this one because in reading through it, a lot of stuff actually happens in this chapter. Like a couple of the chapters we've read, like not a lot of action actually takes place. And this one, a uh, lot of plot development, a lot of dialogue, a lot of character development. And so I struggled a lot in coming up with five that I really thought uh, kind of told the story. But I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. And she was stooped and seemed to be finding it hard to breathe, as if the very air of that place stifled her. It's a reason of state, said Polly spitefully. I should be most happy, delighted to be of any service, a pleasure, I assure you. I'll come back, if I can. At this moment, Uncle Andrew was beginning to be silly in a very grown-up way. I feel like you were. I, I mean, I agree with you. You struggled. Yeah. That's just confusing. Yes, it you, is. You give the perspective. Like, you're trying to... Give perspectives of characters. You're trying to give multiple perspectives from every character of what's happening. And you're not actually delivering the content of the plot. Yeah. Well, this was what I struggled with because I thought I could come up with a, a way to sum it up in a way that you did, but I feel like your last sentence ends with like three pages still left in the chapter. Yes. Like, no, I agree. All of my sentences mm. are in the first half of the chapter, yeah. and that's where all of the plot happens. Yeah. I was and that's trying all I to need. get to the last bit. Like you... I feel like I feel like there's a lot to be said. We'll we'll talk about the chapter and we'll get to why I feel like there's a lot to be said in the last bit. But um, so you you read your sentences first. So why don't you? 
start talking about the chapter. What do you feel like this was about? What do you feel like it meant to you? Well, I mean, like your, you know, 30-second recap, the the kids make it back to the woods, and within the woods, they find that the witch has come with them, and by witch, I mean queen. This is also the first time that she's referred to as a witch, mm-hmm. um, which I find interesting because it, it kind of goes back and forth in calling her Queen Jadis, the queen, and then starts calling her a witch. Mm-hmm. And even the last sentence in this chapter calls her a witch. The last sentence in this chapter is, it was the witch. That's the last sentence. So we have the kids who have come back to the wood between the worlds. Yes. The wit find that the witch has come with them. Uh-huh. And then, a, and she is just this withering creature. She's... She's not beautiful or commanding or terrifying. They, it says they weren't even afraid of her anymore. Yeah. And then we get them trying to get away from her by getting back to their world and just leaving her there. And Dickory feels bad for leaving her there. Like, that's how defeated she is by just being in the wood between the worlds. Mm-hmm. So let's, this is the first point I wanted to get to. Let's discuss that for a second because I feel like it's a really interesting first uh, plot point. Uh, that we we bring Jadis to the wood between worlds and it basically kills her, it, or it is in the process of killing her, draining her power or something. Yeah, and it's the first place that she's referred to as a witch. It's the first time that they see her mm-hmm. as anything besides this de- demanding of homage queen or terrifying person or entity, and it is um, where she starts being referred to as a witch. And as soon as they try to dive into their pool to go back to London, and she f- grabs hold of them and comes with them. That's when she starts being referred to as a creature. She mm-hmm. is she has gone from being queen and charm to being this witch in the wood between the worlds to being a creature in London. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about the development of Jadis, but let's go ahead and continue on your topic first and come yeah. back to that. So why why do we think that is? Because obviously the wood between the So we're the, not going back to your topic? We are. Okay. No. Well, obviously the wood between the worlds uh, does not have this kind of draining effect on Diggory and Polly. Like it has a different effect on them where it kind of like muddles their memories. And, you know, we had this whole thing where they had to remember who they were and where they came from because it just kind of erase their identities however physically they were fine yeah so why is this so different for jadis is it because she uses magic it's possible that it's because she uses magic i have no idea mm-hmm. um but also within it she she's very much in an enchanted room and you could assume that she is in in fact herself enchanted by the way that diggory falls under her spell Mm-hmm. and that this is the first time they've seen her without an enchantment. That is Ooh, like... That's, okay. That's something I, I I didn't actually consider. I think, okay. yeah, I think that it is them seeing her without her magic. How she really is. Yeah. Because, and also, like, she is from this world that is like a dead and dying world where she was this warrior queen who destroyed the entire planet. Well, not the planet, but the people. Yeah, she killed every living thing. She killed every living thing on her world. Mm-hmm. And then she finds herself in this abundant, like, life world between the, like, wood between the worlds. Where she has no power. Where you can even feel the trees growing. There's so much life there. Uh-huh. And, like, there's so much life there that... Even Polly and Diggory just get absorbed in the life of it. I would disagree with that statement, the way the the way it's phrased, but that's beside the point of the chapter. Okay, so. but I'm you know I'm just saying like mm. we're talking about the effect the wood uh-huh. has on Jadis. The kids are seeing her without her enchantments, without her maybe maybe she can't do magic, or maybe just her enchantments over herself are broken. So the kids are seeing her without her enchantments, and we don't know for sure like whether it is that she can't do magic there, but whatever the enchantments that she has on herself are no longer present, whether they're broken or whatever, but they're seeing her as pale 
and they're seeing her as all of these things that you would kind of describe her planet as. Okay. Dried out, weary, broken, dead, mm-hmm. pale, a, a, a red sun that's dying, like a dying light, no life. Uh-huh. They're seeing her in the same way that they saw her home. Yeah, Maybe. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, but then we have the turnaround where as soon as they get to Earth, uh, it's gone. Like, as the second they're on Earth, like, you know, her presence is back. Her presence uh, is back. Her power is not necessarily back. Uh, yeah. She's not, like, blasting it, but her, her authority. And I think that it's really interesting that they say that Polly saw a similarity between their faces of Uncle Andrew and Jadis mm-hmm. that she describes as that mark of yeah. the magician yeah. that Jadis was looking for and Diggory and couldn't find. Yeah. Like, Polly sees some shadow of that seeing yeah. these two side by side. Lewis is really hating on magicians in this chapter. I was going to bring that up <laughs> at some point. Uh, but he has no love for magicians at all. Um, sorry to the Harry Potter fans who are listening, but Lewis, you know, hates your people. Um <laughs> I wouldn't say that that's a fair statement, but we also, because we, because mm-hmm. we've established already at this point that both Jadis and Uncle Andrew did terrible things in order to achieve the magic and the power that they have. Yeah. And I think that that is the mark. Mm-hmm. I think that is the, the terrible things they've done has marked them. Yeah. I don't think that it is the magic so much as it is the the way they acquired it. Well, there's even more broad statements, uh, like later on in the chapter when he's like, you know, Uncle Andrew was always vain, that's why he became a magician in the first place. Yes. Like, stuff like that. Or, you know, sees a witch. And he they... was preening like a peacock. Yeah. <laughs> while we're talking about all the creatures that are referenced. <laughs> because... And to go back to what I had had been saying, Jadis mm-hmm. is queen in her world. Uh-huh. She's witch in the wood between the worlds. And then she's creature. Uh-huh. And she is referred to as a creature in like at least three or four different sentences yeah. after arriving in London. But Uncle Andrew is referred to as looking like a shrimp next to her. And also as preening like a peacock because he was so vain. He is referred to as creatures we're familiar with that we can access because of our experience. Mm -hmm. And she is just described as a creature, like beyond our ability to interact with because she isn't a creature that we could have previously encountered. Mm -hmm. But like Uncle Andrew's called a shrimp and a peacock and it's hilarious uh-huh. uh i mean she is very literally an alien yes so giantess <laughs> they they said yeah. that she has giantish blood possible that it that it's rumored or speculated some say some say that the, the royal acropolis. family uh, some say of the acropolis where the parthenon is yes um the acropolis where the parthenon is what do they say what do they say Two and a half people got that reference that we just made. All right. Anyway. Um. But some some say that some say that giantish blood, which is a really hard word to say, giantish really blood flows in the royal family of Char. Hardly human was what Diggory thought when he looked at her. And he may have been right, for some say there's giantish blood in the royal family of Charm. Mm-hmm. Like, this is apparently well-known enough lore mm-hmm. uh, within within the author's uh, or the narrator's experience. Also, narrator. We need to come back to that. Asterisk, narrator. Okay. So, um, they also, you know, like the, the narrator is referencing this kind of known concept that there's giantish blood 
within the royal family of Charn. And it's the first time that she's described as anything other than this tall woman. Like, mm-hmm. all of the figures in the hall, in the, like the wax figures, were all described as, as tall. Yeah. But she becomes creature and monstrous. Which is not necessarily unusual from the perspective of two, like, ten-year-old kids. Like, that most anyone adults who's... are large. but Most <laughs> adults are going to be taller than children. Yes. I know some who aren't, but, you know, most <laughs> adults are going to be taller than children. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that children see them as creatures. Yeah. Children see them as big people. Uh-huh. As opposed to being like creatures and monstrous yeah. and yeah, witchy and all of these things. Uh huh. All right. So um, yeah. So next plot point to hit on. Uh, we talked about Jadis coming into the War Between Worlds, loses her power, comes back to Earth, gets something back, and is more you know presentable and more regal again. Um, then we get to what I think is a really interesting couple of pages of exchange between uh, Polly and Diggory where they, they get into another fight. Oh, so you're... So after Jadis has stormed out to see what Uncle Andrew is taking so long uh-huh. with acquiring her a chariot. Well, I guess we should roll back to that then uh, because there's a fun interaction between uh, Uncle Andrew and Jadis, which you alluded to when you were like, they call him a shrimp. <laughs> Uh, because we have this, uh, you know, this meeting of the two magicians so far in the story, and you know, Diggory makes a comment like, "Well, now that's a real magician. Uncle Andrew's just, you know, nothing. Like he he's a pretender next to this." Mm-hmm. And Uncle Andrew uh, just completely makes a heel turn and does a a, a one hundred and eighty on his character. Because thus far in the book, what we've seen is Uncle Andrew being this imposing almost creepy figure oh yeah he like has captured these children and is sending them off he oh i wanted two children yeah like yeah absolutely like here are the guinea pigs and yeah i i yipped a little when one of them disappeared but i'm gonna say you know he's manipulative and assertive in this way where he's gonna sneak around and close the door behind them yeah and then jadis is there and he is bowing to her before anyone has even said anything yeah rubbing his hands together and bowing which i feel like is interesting because like this giant woman just comes out of you know not really a portal comes out of nowhere into the room where they apparate uh and she doesn't even do anything she doesn't perform any magic other than just simply being there and and andrew's just suddenly like oh no i'm not worthy i'm gonna bow down and lick your boots because you're obviously you know so much better than I am, which I don't know where he gets this idea because she hasn't said or done anything yet. She, he's just like immediately, oh, that's a tall woman. Maybe yep. he just likes large women. <laughs> but there's also this idea because as they are traveling, the sentence that I used, the sentence that I used in my um, my first sentences say the witch was apparently recovering her strength. Uh-huh. And so as she's leaving the wood between the worlds and coming into London, she's regaining her strength because she redoubles her strength on Diggory's arm and goes from being this weary thing in the woods that they're not afraid of yeah. at all. And and it even says, like, she wasn't scary in the woods. Mm-hmm. But then the sentence I used about her... In Charn, she had been alarming enough. In London, she was terrifying. Uh huh. So I feel like she has gained even more of her dominance than she even had in Charn, mm-hmm. where there, she's now in a younger world that she has already got her her charms and her her spells around her that just bring people to their knees before her and her enchantments, if you will, mm-hmm. have already regained their strength. They're an element of who she is. So I, this is why I can't read ahead because I really want to talk about things that happen in Chapter 7 because I feel like there's a really interesting contrast here, but we can't bring that up because we are talking to, taking this one chapter at a time. Yeah, so stop <laughs> reading ahead for the fourth episode in a row you know what i want to find out what happens 
to reminder to new listeners, uh, I have never read this book before. This is all completely new to me. Uh, How so do you I remind a new listener of something they don't know? That's a great question, Kristen. So information well, <laughs> for new listeners. Information for new listeners. Yeah, we can leave all that in. Anyway, so we have this exchange when Jadis comes in and Uncle Andrew's bowing and scraping and he's immediately just like, ooh, let me serve you. And uh, runs off to, uh, you know, start fetching her things. She demands a chariot and servants and gold and jewels and all these things, which I feel like says something interesting about her character, where she comes in and is just like, gonna take over this world, coming in, I'm the new queen, but first, need a chariot, need servants, need some clothing, need some jewels. Like, first things first, I need to look the part. Like, she, she, this is a very vain moment for her. It, where she, it is. Uh, and what Uncle Andrew does in response to that is run to his room, mm-hmm. have two glasses of some kind of... Grown-up drink. Grown-up drink. <laughs> I was going to say adult beverage, but some kind of grown-up drink in order to help himself calm down or whatever. And then immediately gets on his suit that he is reserved for weddings and funerals. Mm-hmm. And, like has this moment of, like, imagining that Jadis might fall in love with him. Yeah. Like, what? Like, <laughs> this is his suit for weddings and funerals, and he's dressing up like he's going to his own wedding, uh-huh. and it's probably going to be his own funeral. Like... Whoa. <laughs> dropping those lines. I know, That's a right? sound bite for... I, I know. <laughs> if only we hadn't already dropped the trailer. Uh-huh. Um... Uh, episode zero so clever um so (laughs) within that though you have this parallel of this vanity between the two Uh we've talked about the parallel of uncle andrew and jadis with their mark that Mm. polly sees on them this parallel between them of the terrible things that they've done to gain their magic and now you have this parallel between them of vanity, mm-hmm. where this is the first time we've really seen it with Jadis, because we she's talked about being power hungry. She's talked about learning the deplorable word and killing everything on her planet because yeah. her sister pushed her to. Yeah, she's pretty evil. She is pretty evil, but she also has not given us reason to think that she's vain until what you just said of... Her first demands are chariot, slaves, and clothes. Uh-huh. Those are her first demands. And then in response to that, Uncle Andrew runs off to get into his finest clothes mm-hmm. to go ask for money from his sister in order to hire a cab for her. Uh-huh. And, like, where are we going to go get her slaves? Like, in, in Victorian London? Like... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What's your plan, Uncle Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was fun. But let's you... let's break away for a second and go back to Diggory and Polly because, as I said, they get into an interesting fight here. Yes. So uh, Uncle Andrew leaves the room to go get a chariot for the queen, mm-hmm. who is now being referred to as a creature, mm-hmm. a beautiful creature. Um, and she is described as being very practical Uh in ignoring the children because she's only paying attention to what she can get something from, and that's Uncle Andrew right now. Apparently witches are practical. Very practical. Uh And so Uncle Andrew leaves the room. She paces around, taps her foot, and goes, where is he, and goes off after Should have brought a whip. Should have brought a whip. (laughs) And... Then we have the exchange between Polly and Diggory that you want to talk about. Yeah, which I, I feel like was some really interesting character development for Polly in this chapter. Because I feel like in the previous chapters we have most of the time Polly being kind of this voice of reason. Especially when we were on Charn. And she was being the grown up one. And she was being, you know, responsible and saying, oh hey, this is dangerous. Don't ring that bell. Don't do that. And, you know, she's being the more mature of the two. I find it interesting you say that she's being the more grown-up one. Uh-huh. But go ahead. Uh, and then in this chapter, we have this moment where we get reminded that Polly is a child. Yeah. Uh, because they come back, they've experienced all this stuff. 
you know, you have Queen Jadis, evil genocidal witch, in London. Obviously a big problem. Obviously it's something we need to deal with. And Polly's first thought is, I need to get home. My parents are probably looking for me. Hey, Diggory, it's your mess. You deal with this. I don't think... She, no, she's not. She's not like, Diggory, this is your problem. She says, uncle it's Landers. up to your uncle now. now. Yeah. Like... It isn't even crossing her mind that this is going to continue to affect Diggory or herself or yeah. anybody else. She's yeah. just like, well, it's Uncle Andrew's problem now. Yeah. And the reason I think it's interesting that you described her as being grown up in Charn is because she it's from her perspective that we have all of those references to grown ups and grown up things in the earlier chapters mm-hmm. and kind of like talking about grown-ups as this entity like i feel like that a lot of that has come from her uh-huh. and when she is no longer around the grown-ups she is very interested in exploring and doing things that grown-ups would do mm-hmm. and she's very much subject to the the whims of grown-ups almost i would say like Uncle Andrew offers her something, and mm-hmm. she accepts it because she trusts the grown-up. Yeah, because he called her pretty. Well, yeah. I mean, I have that rant, too. <laughs> Unless in episode one. Two. Two, two, two episode I think. Two. And so you have her as this, this character. I don't feel like it's out of character at all for her as this kind of voice of what is the grown-up to then trust the grown-up find herself in charn with no grown-ups around and feel like she needs to fill the void of the grown-up. And then when they get back, just be like, phew, I don't have to be the grown-up anymore. It's a grown-up's problem now. And let it be. Like, I feel like that absolutely is tracking with her character. Mm -hmm. Until we get to this moment where, I mean, they have this fight and... You know, she rants at Diggory and was like, you're partially responsible for this. You know, you twisted my arm literally in the room full of all the statue people to, you know, keep me there. You rung the bell. You woke her up. This is basically all you and Uncle Andrew. Peace, I'm out. Until Diggory has this moment where he apologizes, to his credit. She says, you need to say sorry if I'm going to come back. And Diggory's like, oh, sorry, you're such a girl. Yes. He does. Uh-huh. How uh-huh. like a girl. Uh-huh. And then, but he then apologizes and then kind of gets desperate and is like, but what about my mom? Who, character we still have not met. All we know about his mom is that she is living in a room in this house. Yes, have and that not... she she is a motivating force for Diggory. We don't ever have to meet her. Mm-hmm. She is the reason that Diggory met Polly. Yeah. She is the reason that Diggory was willing to follow Polly. Like, she's part of the reason that Diggory, you, you know, Uncle Andrew brought her up. Like, you know, it would give her such a fright. Uh-huh. And, like, challenged Diggory on that level. Like, everyone knows that this is a weak spot for Diggory. Yeah. This is the founding of Polly and Diggory's friendship is Diggory crying because his mom might die. Mm-hmm. Uncle Andrew challenges him that you know what a fright might do to her. Mm-hmm. And then you now have him afraid that this creature might walk into her room, the yeah. witch, and be like frighten her to death. Mm-hmm. And Polly has a sympathy for that because Polly's friendship with Diggory is based on that. Yeah. And that's the moment where Polly's like, oh, all right, maybe I'll come back. Which I think, I mean, again, kind of emphasizing Polly still being a child. But at the same time, it's this really interesting moment where Polly is aware of Jadis being this entity that is effectively all-powerful. Oh, yeah, and- she's got, she knows all of the information about Jadis and the deplorable word, just yeah. killing everybody on charm. Yeah. And she's like, oh, hey, there's no reason for me not to believe that Jadis can just say something and kill everybody on Earth. But that's not my problem until Diggory brings up his mom. But even then, like, <laughs> is it is it even her problem then? Like, she can't do anything about Jadis just being able to say a word and have everybody die on the planet. 
there's nothing she can do. Like, Diggory asks her to try to make a plan with him, and she's like, no. Again, this is why I shouldn't read ahead, because Diggory has an idea in the next chapter, and that's, you know, teasers for next week. But... (sighs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I guess nothing she can do, but at the same time, I feel like it's irresponsible for her to just be like, well, everybody on Earth might die. Oh, it's not my problem. What is she going to do? Do something. Go tell somebody. Go try to get help. Go try to at she least try. She told an adult. Uncle Andrew <laughs> knows. Uh-huh. And Uncle From Andrew- her perspective, Uncle Andrew was a little weird, then offered her a <laughs> ring that she woke up somewhere she doesn't remember having a life before. Mm-hmm. And then they went to Charn, and they came back, and now it's Uncle Andrew's problem again. And Uncle Andrew got ensorcelled. Maybe. <laughs> um... All right, so that was that was Diggory and Polly. Do you have anything else to say on their their interactions here? No. Um, the only thing that I think is interesting is that Polly decides to go back to her house through the tunnel mm-hmm. because it's the fastest way. Yeah. She feels like you know they've been gone for hours or whatever, and they need to. Uh, she needs to get home before she gets in trouble. So she's still more concerned about what her parents say than what Jadis is or what Uncle Andrew says. Yeah. Like, it, it is more a concern for her whether or not she's going to get in trouble with her parents for being late. Seems short-sighted. I, she's a <laughs> child. Yeah. Like, like the, that I was saying, like, we get reminded of this in this chapter. And I, I feel like we almost see the beginnings of role switching where Diggory becomes the one who has to step up and take responsibility. And because, you know, Polly's gone and Uncle Andrew is, you know, begging and scraping and, you know, ready to cater to Jadis's every whim. And so Andrew's just like, or Diggory's just like, hey, if I don't want, you know, this creature to hurt my mom, I need to do something. And yeah. there's kind of this beginning of him stepping up to the plate here so the only other point i wanted to hit in the chapter as we're you know going in-depth analysis uh is this really fun moment between uh uncle andrew and aunt letty (laughs) when he asks her for five dollars yeah five pounds Uh uh-huh and she says so you're ready for this uh uncle andrew here is not asking aunt letty for a small sum of money five Uh, pounds and in 1890, in, in London, obviously, uh, one pound is equal to about 122 pounds in modern currency. So Jeez. He's, he's going and being like, hey, casually, can I have like $600? So, okay, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. Because <laughs> he literally walks in and asks her for five pounds, and she goes... She basically tells him he should be ashamed, that he should be embarrassed to come ask her for money uh-huh. because he's he hasn't financially ruined her, yeah. but he has absolutely mis, um, well, it kind of says, mismanaged finances, and she is much worse yeah. off than she was yeah. before Uncle Andrew got his hands on her money. Mm-hmm. And so like, she is in a much worse off place than she should be because of him. Mm-hmm. And he's just walking in and being like, can I have five pounds? Which to me is like asking for $10, $5. But uh-huh. thank you for doing the the research on that. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to be entertaining. That makes a lot more sense. Because I'm like, bro, <laughs> like you want five bucks. That's going to cover cab fare and a meal. Oh, I mean. At uh, that point in time. Yeah. So no, a lot, okay. lot more money, and so uh, yeah, it, we talk about how Aunt Letty basically gets financially ruined by Uncle Andrew, and all you know, and it also says you know he's frivolously spent all this money. It's not like oh he's spent this money on magical research and his pursuits. He's blown it all on brandy and cigars. Yes, like <laughs> basically he he's got a drinking problem, and you know likes his wacky tobacco, and. Uh, <laughs> And that's that's where he's he, he that's what he's been doing for the past thirty years apparently, and so this is the context behind Aunt Lady just being like really, like it's enough. I let you live in my house, and you know you should be ashamed. And then Jadis walks in. 
And we have to wait for the next chapter to find out what Letty says. Yeah. But Jadis just comes storming in at that moment and is described as a witch. Hmm. So, so now it's the point where I'd ask you for any summary thoughts in the chapter, but I feel like in the previous episodes we've kind of been getting redundant with that because I have this segment that I force where we go in and rate the chapter and then we give summary thoughts. So let's wait for our wrap-up and our summary there. Uh, but let's get to our, uh, our recurring segment where, much like the first one, where we take sentences out of the chapter and try to retell the story of it. Um, we take sentences <laughs> out of the chapter and make a whole new story out of it. And this one I struggled with. See, I didn't struggle with it because going through I it... had a feeling because you struggled with summing up the chapter. I had a uh -huh. feeling you had no problem whatsoever no. writing your own story out of this. I had so many threads mm -hmm. that I wanted to write a story off of and I couldn't commit to any of them. Mm -hmm. So I finally just like did one I was like very much half committed to. Cool. So I don't think mine is good at all. But I'm looking forward to hearing yours because I had a feeling yours would be good. Yeah. Uh... This one I had an idea going in. It's really simple, but I think it's fun. Also, as a side note, in this chapter, uh, Polly calls Diggory an ass, which is now a word we can freely use on the podcast because it is used in the chapter in the book. Uncle uh, Andrew says a dem fine woman, so we can fine. say dem, dem too. Dem as well. Yeah, we've been making an effort not to curse too much on this podcast, but we can freely say ass and dem now. Because they're in the chapter. <laughs> uh -huh. A dem fine woman. <laughs> uh-huh. Which, which I guess you could also insert a side rant here about how he refers to Jadis as a dim fine woman, but Aunt Letty is a gal. A gal. <laughs> a gal. A gal. Yep. She's, she's not a woman. She's a gal. Yep. Oh. Oh, gal. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. So would you like to go with your rewrite first, or would you like me to jump in and... Uh... I mean, I'll go... I, I'm very interested in hearing your, write, your rewrite, and I feel like yours is going to have more conversations sparked by it. So I'll go ahead and do my rewrite first. Okay. So these, again, same rules as before, three to five sentences that we're pulling out of the chapter. Uh, and in this case, it's kind of at, at random almost in order to build a new story. Mm -hmm. um, using sentences in the chapter to tell a different story. Um, and in our discussion, sometimes that informs our understanding of a specific character. We'll see. All right. Here are my rewritten sentences. We must make some sort of plan. Like when you killed all the people on your own world. <laughs> Tomorrow I will begin the conquest of the world. It's a reason of state, said Polly spitefully. In Charn, she had been alarming enough. In London, she was terrifying. So, <laughs> that's fun. So, kind of like what I did with the rewrite of the last chapter where I was, like, turning Diggory into a force of destruction. This is, this is Polly for you, where Polly is, you know, gonna wreck some stuff. <laughs> And destroy a world. We must make some sort of plan. Like when you killed all those people in your own world. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a lot funnier out loud than it was on paper. Yeah. That's great. I liked your flow there. So what was your idea behind that? I, I mean, honestly, like I was going to take all of the sentences that referred to things as creatures and try to make Jadis into this mysterious creature figure mm -hmm. and make it about like you know, shrimp and weird creatures. Shrimp and peacocks. Yeah. And well, I was going to try to get something from one of the pools and then be like mm. shrimps and the pools yeah. and the creature and yeah. kind of have this ominous thing about Jadis. But then I was like, everything about the last chapter was this ominous thing about Jadis. So I'm not creating anything new. I am just em 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 I'm just emphasizing this idea of Jadis as a creature. Mm-hmm. And I have to make these negative qualities about someone else if I'm making something new. Yeah. And so I was just like, well, no, I'm going to talk about that time you killed all those people, Polly. We don't talk about that. <laughs> I mean, let's go get an adult. You might be late for dinner, Polly. <laughs> and, you know, like that time you killed all those people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, So I don't know. I was just having fun with taking uh, this 
spitefulness of Polly because she has a sentence that is described as being said spitefully. She also has a sentence that's being described as saying sarcastically. Mm -hmm. And those two descriptors of how she spoke just kind of stood out to me to be like, Polly's a badass. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, she's a little firecracker in this chapter. Yeah, she's a little (laughs) firecracker. She's got some sass to her, she's got Uh some spite and some sarcasm that's going to come out. And I think that that was something that just, I don't know, stood out to me as a story element. Um, I like yours. Thanks. It made you laugh. Would you like to hear mine? I would like to hear yours. Uh, Maybe we should start doing this thing where we give each other each other sentences to read. Ooh, that could be a fun thing for next episode. Tune in for that one, guys. All right. If we remember. If we remember. That's that's always the challenge. So I it might be three episodes from now when I actually like have edited this one. That right. So going into this, my my whole idea was I wanted to rewrite the story using nothing but dialogue, and using really short pithy sentences. Uh, And so this is my really punchy rewrite. I'm not touching you," said Diggory. "Oh, don't be such an ass," said Polly. "Sorry," exclaimed Diggory. Oh, I see, said Polly in a rather different voice. I, I, I'll, I'll go and order a cab at once, gasped Uncle Andrew. So that, <laughs> see, my idea. When you restrict yourself to dialogue, I, like, I feel like you have excluded any hope of. This, I, I thought you'd laugh more at that. Um, my, my whole idea was just like, let's condense this whole thing down to like, you know, I don't want to say a lover's quarrel, but something like that between <laughs> Diggory and Polly, where they're just, you know, spatting about nothing. Like and, what we're doing in half of our and, episodes. And, and awkwardly doing this in front of Uncle Andrew, who at the end is just like, um, I'll, I'll go call a cab. <laughs> <sighs> and he's like just an that. awkward bystander. Uh, to this fight. Yeah, yeah, to this fight, which is meaningless. So we should just call him Nathan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> We should do that. Hi, Nathan. You're you're a quarter of our listenership. Anyway, hi, Steve. Shout outs. Um, if you want your own shout out, uh, tweet at us at uh, at Chronically Pod on Twitter. Um, and also feel free to tweet at us or email us uh, chronicallypodcast at gmail uh, with your own story ideas, reread the chapter with us. Write your own story <laughs> is, with the this sentences. This is a great and... wrap up. We're gonna wrap up later, though. Okay. Okay. The only other thing that I wanted to talk about in this whole thing uh-huh. was this one one sentence that Letty says when she is asking him, Aunt Letty, when she's asking him what it is that he thinks he like who he thinks he's going to be entertaining. And she says, there hasn't been a ring at the door. Mm-hmm. And that word ring stood out to me <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's the rings that get them to her and that get her back. It is. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I was just like, there hasn't been a <laughs> ring at the door, but there's been a ring in the attic this whole time. <laughs> that turn of phrase uh, <laughs> was really loud. Anyway, I, I, I don't know. I Without getting into the next chapter, I, I think... I, I, I get nope, the... Nope, nope, nope. Okay. <laughs> Nothing. So, last segment that we do is I make Kristen do this thing where we go through and we give the chapter a rating. You make on... me do nothing. <laughs> I, um... You indulge me. Indulge you. In this. And we give the chapter a rating based on how well we think it did what it set out to do. Um, and every time is that we, what it's based on? I think so. And every time we choose a different rating system, um, and so I think it should be out of shrimps. I I had an idea for this one, which I was gonna say out of snifters of brandy. <laughs> I don't know. I like shrimps and peacock feathers. Okay, shrimps and peacocks we can do as well, where we can each have our own specific rating system. You know, since we have had uh-huh. for every episode thus far. Yeah. So, um, since this is my idea, uh, I'll go first and say... That's going to be forever true. (laughs) 
that I like this chapter. A lot happens. There's a lot of development. Like, there's a lot of plot. Like, and packed into six pages, it's really impressive. Like, we have a lot of stuff that happens between Diggory and Polly. We got a lot of stuff that, you know, not a lot of stuff, but we find out a little bit more about, you know, Letty's and Andrew's relationship, which is interesting. And there's this really fun quote that I feel like uh, just is a great way of summing up so much story here. Andrew, said Aunt Letty, looking him straight in the face, I wonder, you are not ashamed to ask me for money. There was a long, dull story of a grown-up kind behind these words. And, and I feel like that's great, because Lewis is just like, hey, here's plot development that you don't care about. <laughs> yes, very true. That also brings me back to our asterisk point earlier about the narrator. Narrator, okay. Shove this in here. To. Yeah. Yes, the narrator. I finally remember, after... However many years it's been since I read this book, who the narrator is. Okay. It's not just the disembodied head of C.S. Lewis. It is not just the disembodied head of C.S. Lewis. And I'm so excited. Okay. Because we talk about um, the, the, the narrator many times as having this voice where he just pops in and is like, and Diggory always thought this, and Diggory said this, and Diggory has always like talked about it in this way. Mm-hmm. Where this this narrator knows Diggory as a future person mm-hmm. that like we are not encountering. Yes. But I finally remembered who the narrator is, and anyone who's read this book recently will will know and be like, calm down. But like, <laughs> I finally remember who the narrator is. Now I'm really excited because when I feel like once the narrator is actually kind of like. I might be wrong. I might be remembering completely wrong and everyone's like, you're dumb. Mm -hmm. But, like, the narrator is an entity that is is a character. And the narrator has already input so much personal opinion that I feel like it's impossible to ignore the narrator as a presence, as a character. And I want to, as we continue, to keep checking in on the narrator as a character who's developing. Because... Okay. I think that the narrator has has exerted himself into the story enough to be a character. Huh. Now, I got I really wanted to talk about the narrator mostly because I remembered who the narrator was. Cool. But I don't want who I think I might have remembered who the narrator is. But like Have you not looked this up to confirm your suspicions? No, I haven't because I'm I'm experiencing this book as a as a reread years okay. after the last time I read it. Like Okay. So anyway, so, anyway, back to my back to my thing. You're ready. Um, question, though. I don't want to know who the narrator is because this is my first time through the book. However, uh, if it is who you think it is, does the narrator have a good reason for being omniscient? Because as the narrator as... knows what everybody is doing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Be- well, I mean, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I, no. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Because... Omniscient narrators bother me as a writer. Okay, here's the thing. The narrator is telling the story that Diggory told the narrator. Yes. And that's that's the that's the perspective we've gotten. Yeah. But we know things like what Uncle Andrew is doing when he goes and gets all vain and spiffs himself up. Yes, but if Diggory sees himself sees him afterwards, he he can speculate that. Okay. (laughs) He is his he's flush in the face. He had a couple of drinks and he's got a flower in his uh-huh. In his lapel of his son of his wedding best. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to the rating idea. Um, a lot of stuff happens in the chapter. I was trying to think of like any any detractions from the chapter or anything that I think could have been done better. Uh, sorry, Ghost of C.S. Lewis. Um, and I'm not really getting to a lot. Uh, I think is really... So you're apologizing to C.S. Lewis for not having a lot of criticisms of this chapter? Well, we're trying to criticize him really oh, hard. no, that's good. You're supposed um, to. <laughs> and, yeah, I can't think of anything immediately that's really wrong with it. Uh, but I'm still holding out hope for, like, that perfect chapter that's out there somewhere. So I'll go ahead and give it four and a half brandy snifters out of five. Okay, cool. Um, so there we go. Kristen. I'll toast it... A full chariot horse. <laughs> Give us summary on the chapter. 
I mean, it's a, the, my thoughts on the chapter is that the chapter does a great job of packing a lot into a very small number of pages, mm-hmm. very effectively giving us a perspective on some characters that we haven't gotten to see yet. Andrew as a shrimp. You know, like... You really like Andrew as a shrimp. I do. I feel like people should send us fan art of this. If you're artistically inclined, <laughs> draw Uncle Andrew as a shrimp. And post it on Instagram <laughs> and, on and Instagram. tag us at Chronically Podcast. Yes. Anyway, <sighs> or just send it to us in an email at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com and yeah, we'll yeah. post it on our own Instagram. Yeah, do that too. Anyway, um, the... This this idea of seeing Uncle Andrew as something that he hasn't been yet. He's been a monster. He's been a fool. He's been a beast. He's been a bully. But he hasn't been this weak, rubbing his hands together and bowing before the queen person that he now is. Mm-hmm. He has been this holder of the mark. But he hasn't been this, I am here to serve you. And, like, I think that that's really fun. So, yeah, definitely. Full chariot horse. Okay. Um, so, if, do you have anything else that you want to share? I don't. I think I pretty much uh, summed up what my thoughts were. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been Chronically Narnia with the discussion of the chapter, The Beginning of Uncle Andrew's Troubles. Uh, I'm Kristen. And I'm a peacock with a brandy problem. <laughs> And I'm Aunt Letty with a cigar phobia. Um, Freud would have something to say about that. Oh, wow. Um, so you can reach out to us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com if you're just that bored and need something to do in your life. Send us your images of Uncle Andrew as a shrimp. Or, <laughs> or a peacock. Or a peacock. And uh, we will absolutely see you next week. See ya. This is episode five. <laughs> I think. What's, what's, what's the name was? of the chapter? <laughs> uh, yes, and Gandalf. Gandalf. Those are like two running jokes that we have. We've um, referenced Gandalf in one episode. Well, we've caught everybody up now. <laughs> and we are here to discuss the chronicle. We are here. When we read through the chapter, we pick out a selection of sentences, like three to six sentences each. Uh, and we start by reading through those. And Since when are we allowed to do six sentences? Uh, it's always been three to five. No, I, I have five. But I'm just saying, we could, if we really... I have, if I could have had a six sentence... <laughs>